Hey, thanks for checking out the Shift Weekend Spotlight with John Jang. On the show, we're going to be talking about Mark Donnelly, a former Canucks anthem singer who actually got fired over Twitter by the Canucks owner when it was confirmed he would be performing at an upcoming anti-mask rally. And then we'll be talking about monoliths, one of the key buzzwords of 2020. I mean, who saw that one coming? We're going to be checking in with BLM in Utah. That's the Bureau of Land Management who are now investigating just what the heck those monoliths were all about. And as we do every single week we are going to be learning portuguese with leonardo our technical producer who's from brazil and loves to teach us new phrases and words in portuguese thanks for checking it out now let's quickly go to john in london ontario uh, john welcome to the shift thank you for having me on the show i had a story about when i realized my parents were cooler than me actually my dad <laughs> all right this is a nice uh, 180 from the conversation we just had i'm happy to hear it all right john tell us what was your moment when you realized your uh, your, your dad specifically was cooler than you when i was little i had cancer leukemia and i couldn't play hockey because in canada all the kids play hockey but right. i couldn't because my my bones were too brittle and if i got knocked down it'd be messed up so I could skate. The doctor said my dad could teach me how to skate. So we went all over. All, we're from a small town, so we drove all over the place trying to find skates. I couldn't obviously stand up in the ones from Canadian Tire. We ended up going to a place where the hockey players go, and I tried on a pair of CCM tacks. That's what the Maple Leafs were wearing yeah. at the time. And my dad was going dirty hairy. He was, he was a bit upset that he had to spend that much money, but the guy in the sports shop said that it's the only thing I could stand up in because I had weak ankles and right, I couldn't right. stand up in a regular boot. So we took the skates out to my small town hockey arena and I was skating. My dad went inside with my sister for a snack or something. I was on my own and then the school bully knocked me down. Hmm. And then my dad saw it happen. He doesn't even play hockey, but he came flying out like a enforcer on the leaf. <laughs> he flew over the boards out onto the ice and he went dirty hairy on the on the bully like in the movie where they have the elevator scene yeah so he said he said i'm not angry nobody's going to get hurt i just want to know did you knock my boy down and the bullies were laughing and i'm like oh no don't laugh because everybody knew that my dad's like dirty hairy and then he said that he saw them knock me down mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be a good idea to do it again Wow. And then after that, they didn't bother me anymore. And then all and then all the all the kids are like, "Wow, your dad's like dirty hair." I'm like, "Yeah." So I don't. It doesn't bother me. On the other topic that the movies are streaming, I don't have TV because I'm too poor for TV. Live in an apartment with no cable. Sure. But I'm like my dad. My dad was my dad was uh, Warner Brothers because that's who made Dirty Harry. So I'm like I, my dad, my dad was like like my <laughs> real life Dirty Harry. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, John, so like, how, how are you doing these days? How's your condition? Oh, I called on Charles Adler because technically I have disability. I'm surviving, mm-hmm. but the virus has been tough because I don't have a job. I'm on ODSP trying to survive the virus. And then the caller that was on before that, yeah. my dad always said that if it wasn't for drugs, I wouldn't even be here. Right, so, right. So stuff like that, it's like hard because I lost a lot of friends because of the virus like those conspiracy people and stuff i'm like oh my goodness so i appreciate you asking that's why i love your show because it's a place where i where i can call and not feel alone and uh talk with you cool guys (laughs) well i appreciate that john and uh, the feeling is very mutual really appreciate you giving us a call here tonight
Thank you so much. You got it, John, and uh, all the best uh, in your in, with your condition and everything. It sounds like you're in good spirits, and uh, I love hearing these stories. Dirty Harry as a dad, yeah, who wouldn't want that particular experience? I mean, come on, that's kind of fantastic. I I, I don't personally have a the uh, story like that where my dad came rushing to my aid. I, I will admit, I did encounter some bullies when I was younger, but uh, I got through a lot of those experiences on my own. Um, but you know, it, it happens. So I'm glad, John, that you had some backup in the form of your uh, your badass dad when it came to that particular experience happy to see that you're doing uh, pretty well uh, it, i mean this is a kind of a nice segue because we're going to take a moment here and if you've been waiting patiently on the phone lines uh, i do apologize we just uh, we've got a lot of callers tonight so uh, i if, if you want to stick around great uh, we'll try and take more callers on the other side but for now since we just finished talking a little bit about skating and hockey, I think it's appropriate. We focus on something that happened here in Vancouver, but I think the story is translatable across the country. And it's something that Charles Adler also mentioned on his program earlier this evening. The Vancouver Canucks, let me just provide some context. The Vancouver Canucks have had a number of different anthem singers over the past few years. They kind of do this rotation where uh, on any given home game, it could be Mark Donnelly. Another given night, it could be Marie Huey. And so they have this rotating cast of anthem singers. They won't necessarily have like this one particular person like other teams do. Well, that might not be the case anymore. And as Charles explained... One of their anthem singers named, named uh, Mark Donnelly uh, made the decision to confirm that he would be attending an anti-mask rally downtown Vancouver scheduled for tomorrow. And not only would he be attending, but he would be performing the national anthem. This created an uproar on Twitter and Canucks fans, uh, in my opinion, rightfully jumped on it and were absolutely outraged that uh, somebody would, first of all, go to an anti-mask rally, but then perform the national anthem as if it were being endorsed by the Vancouver Canucks. Obviously, I need to provide a bit more context. None of the anthem singers, either in Vancouver or in Edmonton or in Boston or in Florida, none of them are actually employees of the hockey team. They are they're on a voluntary basis more than anything. They're given an agreement where they say, yes, you're going to come perform the national anthem. And yes, uh, you're going to do this as a volunteer. No, I don't think it's a paid gig, at least from my understanding. But with that said, I think there is also an acceptance that as you become the person who be, uh, you know, is associated with that team, that brand, that identity, and you're performing the national anthem for that team, more or less, you carry the organization on your shoulders. Do you not? I mean, you become associated with that team just based on your face and voice alone, right? So Mark Donnelly made the decision by himself to go and perform at the upcoming anti-mask rally. Canucks fans get outraged, are demanding some sort of justice, preferably that the team move on from Mr. Donnelly. Well, about an hour or two after the news originally broke, the chief operating officer of Canucks Sports and Entertainment came out with a statement saying, we kindly remind, and I'm paraphrasing, we kindly remind our Canucks fan base that Mark Donnelly is doing this independently and is not associated with the Vancouver Canucks. We want to encourage all of our fans to wear a mask, be safe, practice social distancing, and, you know, just make the right choices. Never in that statement, though, did they allude that further discipline was coming or that a further review or investigation was currently underway. So I jumped on the story, too. 
before I joined Chorus Radio and before I joined CKNW, before I joined Global News Radio. I was working in Vancouver in sports radio. So I became uh, familiar with a lot of the different people around the Canucks organization. And let me tell you this. Because of COVID-19 impacting the finances of the Vancouver Canucks earlier in the year, they asked everybody in the organization across the board to take a 20% pay cut. And then afterwards, they still decided that their finances would not work as is, and they laid off a bunch of staff on their business operations department, including somebody that I knew and worked with over the years when I was in sports radio with their public relations department. She was just one of many, many other people that were let go. So I was dumbfounded that the Vancouver Canucks were not more angry about this because we're talking about somebody willfully going to an anti-mask rally knowing that your organization has suffered financially and you've had to lay off good people as a result of the virus. If I was one of the people that had to take a 20% pay cut, if I was one of the people that got laid off, I would have been incensed. I would have been pissed right off that the organization wouldn't have taken a firmer stance. And I voiced that opinion on Twitter. Then I took a lot of reaction, some people supporting what I'm saying, other people saying, well, hey, you know, he has a right. He has his freedom. You know, he gets to make this decision because he's a human being. But again, there's an understanding. And I'll admit, too, because I'm a public figure and Leo is a public figure. Anyone who works in media and broadcasting is a public figure. But if you're performing in front of 18,000 people every every game night, you're also a public figure. And the actions that you take represent the organization that you either work for or associated with, even if you don't necessarily want it to. That's why when you see certain social media profiles from journalists, from uh, radio hosts, from anyone who works in media, they have to specify on their social media page, views on this page do not reflect my employers. But that doesn't mean anything. Because if I was to go on my Twitter and just simply put on my bio, my tweets are my own thoughts and opinions. They do not reflect that of my employer. And if I went on this incredibly ignorant, uh, let's just say if I went on this racist tirade or sexist tirade, I would be fired for it because that is part of this job. That is part of the lifestyle I've signed up to. There is certain jobs in the world that you can leave at the office and you can go home and you can separate these two realities. There are certain jobs like mine where you cannot do that. You can't leave being a radio personality at the, at the office and just come home and be a normal guy. Everywhere you go, your actions represent who you work for and the organization that you work for. So when Mark Donnelly, as a free man, makes a willful decision to go and attend and perform the national anthem, literally what he does for the Canucks, at an anti-mask rally, then he's essentially bringing in the entire organization without them wanting to be involved. So uh, an hour after the COO makes that statement, the owner of the Vancouver Canucks, Francesco Aquilini, comes in from the top rope, smashes down and tweets out, he is now a former Canucks anthem singer. He was fired over Twitter. Like, That's my understanding. So will Mark Donnelly be there tomorrow? I don't know. I'm assuming he will be. I'm assuming he knows at this point that he has been let go by the Vancouver Canucks. I'm assuming he understands that he made this decision, probably understanding it's going to piss people off and outrage many Canucks fans. He made the decision anyway. 
We might live in a society where you have freedom of choice, but we do not live in a society where there's freedom of consequence. If you are saying or doing or participating in certain things where your actions are being judged by the greater of society, then guess what? There are going to be consequences to deal with. That's just the nature of it. I'm all for freedom. I'm all for liberty. But it comes with its limits, especially as we're living in a day and age where social media and everyone's got a smartphone. Everything you do is scrutinized at every given moment. If you're an accountant, you know, maybe you don't have that pressure. If you are um, you know, an office worker, I don't know, just somebody who works a nine to five gets to leave their job at the office. In, in many ways, there are people like me that envy that. Because when I go out in public, I can't act a fool. You know, I can't just let go. I can't just, you know, spew off insults to people that come and, you know, bother me. I can't do it because I'm at risk of losing my job. There's the right to freedom, and then there's freedom of consequence. You have to identify which one actually matters, and guess what? They both do. So Mark Donnelly, gone as the Canucks anthem singer. Coincidentally, last month on 980 CKW in Vancouver, I interviewed the Canucks' other anthem singer, Marie Huey, for our leadership series of 2020. And Marie, she is just, honestly, she's an angel. And I put together this feature just sort of showcasing who Marie Huey really is. My understanding is Marie is going to be the full permanent anthem singer for the Vancouver Canucks moving forward. So here you go. Get to know Marie Huey. We ask you to please rise, remove your hats, and join Marie Huey for the singing of both national anthems. Oh, Canada, our home and native land. As the official anthem singer for both the Canucks and the Whitecaps, Marie Huey is no stranger to high-pressure moments. Performing regularly in front of crowds with over 18,000 people watching and listening to every single note. But she explains that the most nerve-wracking moment in all of this was the original audition to become the team's official anthem singer. Something similar to American Idol, Idol or Canadian Idol, and uh, they held auditions. So uh, anybody that really wanted to be their anthem singer uh, sent in a video of themselves singing both the Canadian and American anthems. And at this audition, she got to perform in front of someone that you and I know quite well. Uh, Bruce Allen, which is, um, I'm not sure if you all know, but Bruce Allen is the manager of um, Michael Buble and Brian Adams. I'm Bruce Allen, this is CKNW, and this is your reality check. Yep, that's the guy. So that was really cool to, to actually sing in front of somebody so influential in, in the industry. Needless to say, Huey aced that audition and became the Whitecaps' first MLS anthem singer and eventually joining the Vancouver Canucks just a couple of years later. But outside of her stadium performances, Huey is a well-known performer who's been in music for over a decade, with shows at many venues all around the city and even abroad in places like Macau. So what is her advice for people considering a career in music? I think the first thing is that you know if you if you really love to sing you gotta you have to do it you have to sing um, you have to get yourself out there you have to give yourself opportunities to 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 hone your craft number one music in the industry is is a lot about who you know as well 
So um, making connections and making relationships with people that you feel uh, can help you. As if that wasn't impressive enough already, Marie is also a mother of two. In fact, our conversation took place less than three weeks after she had given birth to a baby girl. And Marie spoke about what it's like juggling these two very different, yet very demanding roles. For me, fortunately, I do have that support at home, and I'm able to follow my passions and continue to be a singer, um, songwriter in the city and also have two children. And, you know, just because we're female doesn't mean that our lives end because we have kids. So we can still pursue our passions and still, you know, be the people that we want to be and, and be happy in our, in, our, in our careers and in our um, working lives and still come home to these two beautiful children that I can call my big bundles of joy in life. <laughs> As a man, I know I'm privileged because I'll never have to make that choice in deciding which road I eventually want to take, starting a family or continuing my career. Marie Huey is changing the lyrics, showing that women can and will make both options work. Marie Huey is my cultural leader. Oh, Canada, we stand on God. Fabulous singer and uh, more than qualified to take over as the permanent anthem singer for the Vancouver Canucks. That is Marie Huey. If there's one thing I want you to take away from this conversation on the show today, it's that uh, we don't need to be talking about Mark Donnelly. Instead, let's talk about Marie Huey. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. For now, uh, let's, you know, we got a a few minutes here. Let's quickly get into this. Are you okay? Which means we got to bring back Roberto. There he is. Roberto, yeah, born with a guitar in his hand. True fact. All right, are you okay with Mariah Carey Christmas music? Uh, Leo? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm okay. I mean, well, I might have said something about Mariah Carey. She's <laughs> She's been around for a long time, proving herself over and over. Uh, actually, I've You're seen too her. nice. Yeah, well, I've seen her once. She's, she sings okay. Oh, you've and, seen uh, her? Yeah, well, I once went to see Lionel Richie here in Vancouver, and she right. was touring with him, so oh, okay. she played before him because he was headlining. It was pretty cool. Yeah, she sings really nice, and uh, yeah, she's just, I'm not going to say anything negative about her. I actually like her quite a few. I don't listen to her on Spotify or anything, but okay. yeah, I respect right. the career that she had. All right, well, Leo's got the halo uh, and, above his head. Oh, just oh. to finish, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. she had pretty good memories. She was the first uh, public girlfriend of Derek Jeter way back in the late Derek 90s. Jeter <laughs> of course, of course. That's my as a Yankees fan of our, you gotta yeah alright fair enough well Leo like I mentioned he's got the halo there I will go with the horns here a little bit because look do I do I am I okay with Mariah Carey sure I'm okay I don't love it and I pff, it's a little overblown right like it feels like Mariah has just like claimed ownership over the entire month of December with her non-stop Christmas music. It's everywhere, right? You go to stores, you just, even online, people are playing. (sighs) I'll bite my tongue. Are you okay with Mariah Carey Christmas music? The ones that she's already created? Sure. 
but now there's new music, and oh boy. No! No! And yeah, that's, yeah, I can't take much more of that. All right, so. (laughs) I was clapping all over. Yeah, you were dancing in the booth. Uh, Mariah Carey has come out with new Christmas music, and I think. I could I could get on board with the classics, right? Like all I want for Christmas is you. Like that's her number one Christmas hit. And I I don't understand. I don't understand why Mariah needs to create new music in 2020. Look, at at, at a certain point, you become so rich and you become so successful that there's no need to do anything else, right? Like just literally sleep on your pile of cash and roll around in it. You, you, you can fade off into the sunset. There's no need for someone like Mariah with all that she's accomplished and all the money she's made and the fact that December is basically unofficially her month as she pops out with all the Christmas music. I just, I don't understand why is the biggest thing. So I got it like, ah, she's a good singer. I get that. She's accomplished a lot. I get that. She dated Derek Jeter. I don't know if that's a good thing, but she did it anyways. There's so many good things about Mariah Carey. I can't handle new Christmas music. Like, read the room, right? Like, we got a plan. We got a pandemic going on. You're coming up with new Christmas music? Ah. All right, 877-399-9898. Derek chiming in saying, I'm definitely okay with Mariah's Christmas music. She has an amazing voice even after all these years. And if you've ever heard her story, she is an amazing woman. We got another one saying, no, my ears. Derek also chiming in with an update saying, okay, I'm not actually all right with how popish this sounds in particular. Roadhammer saying, my ears are now bleeding. Turn it off. So uh, I'm just going to be... 100% 100% transparent. This was not just Mariah Carey. She also made it with uh, Ariana Grande. I think that's her name. Ariana. Yeah. And uh, ooh, I forgot the other singer. I think it's uh, Jay Hudson. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it's just one of those songs where it's going to take a few years before this becomes relevant. Like, yeah, you're playing it now because it's holidays and it's December. I get it. But will anyone remember this song? December 2021? December 2022? That's where I have to say I doubt it. It's Jennifer Hudson. Yes, thank you. I knew it was Hudson, and I knew it was a J. I just went with J. Hudson, but thank you, Jennifer Hudson. Um, Yeah, John in Winnipeg chiming in. Mariah Carey did it to inspire a broken nation. Maybe, maybe, or maybe she's trying to capitalize on everybody spending money the holidays because uh, we're all shopping from home. Uh, Trucker Dan saying maybe Mariah is getting jealous that Michael Bublé has taken over Christmas in Australia. Didn't know about that, but there you go. All right. uh, That was, I guess, fun, maybe a little painful, but there you go. Lyle also chiming in. Christmas is not Mariah Carey month. It's Bing Crosby, Gene Autry, Elvis Presley. Hell yeah.
bring back the classics. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Uh, we're going to take a quick moment here and talk very quickly about monoliths. I'm sure you've heard the word over the past number of weeks, uh, past number of days specifically, monoliths popping up in Utah, monolith popping up in Romania, another one in California. Well, it's become a buzzword here in 2020. We don't really understand why, but for your sake, I created this little audio piece for you. There's a new buzzword going around these days, and that word is monolith. I know the last thing any of us want is to relive 2020, but bear with me just a moment as I take you back to mid-November. That is when a mysterious object first appeared in the middle of a desert in southern Utah with no real explanation. For your convenience, Global News did cover that story. An internet explorer tracked down the metal monolith in Utah that's been creating a stir online. David Serber posted video of his discovery on Instagram. State wildlife officials stumbled on the strange metal statue earlier this month while counting bighorn sheep. All right, y'all wanted the magnet test, so I didn't bring a strong enough one, but not sticking. Okay, those are the attempts. And then, uh, let's see. So is it solid? Not solid. Sounds a little bit like a cardboard box. And then, to the lighter side, we got rivets and handprints from probably from Diesel Dave going all the way up. And then it's three different panels. You can see there. So all the panels are separate and then riveted. Hollow, riveted, not magnetic. The statue stands 3 to 3.7 meters tall, and it's not known who put it there. This monolith is shrouded in mystery. In fact, it is now entirely gone. Reports say that the object was removed late Friday night when a group of four men pushed the monolith to the ground, dismantled it entirely, and drove off with the pieces under the cover of darkness. And indeed, it's a rather fitting end, gone as mysteriously as it first appeared. But now, let's take another trip, but this time to the great nation of Romania, where just a few days ago, yet another monolith was discovered at a historic site in the country's northeastern region. A local man filmed his encounter with this new monolith, observing that it was clearly man-made. In fact, in this video, he shows how it was crudely welded together, which would make most industry professionals here wince just looking at the lack of quality put into this job. And in case you're wondering, it's completely hollow, which is probably the least surprising thing out of this whole viral sensation. But just like its original counterpart in Utah, this Romanian monolith also mysteriously disappeared in the middle of the night. According to one local journalist, all that remains is just a small hole covered by rocky soil. So the one question still remains. Why? Why was this ever constructed? Some may recognize the word monolith and think back to 2001, A Space Odyssey, which is a 1968 science fiction film by the legendary Stanley Kubrick. But even then, there doesn't seem to be any direct correlation. The movie originally released early April of 1968, 
and the novel that was inspired by, called The Sentinel by Arthur C. Clarke, was originally published in the spring of 1951. So there just doesn't seem to be any logical connection between the Utah and Romanian monoliths of Earth and the fictional monoliths that exist in those two stories. Ultimately, what I can tell you is why the monoliths might have been taken down so quickly. The original, in the Utah desert, was such a viral sensation that late-night talk shows created an entire tourism ad around that piece. Come, experience all Utah has to offer. From desert to lakes to canyons to mountains to the monolith. Enjoy our five national parks and over 40 state parks. But do not approach the monolith. The monolith will beckon if you are required. Utah has more shoreline than the U.S. Pacific Coast. How is that possible? The monolith wills it so. It is not ours to question the ways of the monolith. So come to Utah. Enjoy everything nature has to offer. And the monolith. Well, that ad worked, and the site was naturally discovered by keen adventurers wanting their Instagram moment of fame. Ultimately, that was creating too much of a disturbance to the local ecosystem and forced that group of men to take it down last Friday night. As for the Romanian monolith, as mentioned earlier, that was installed at a historic site without any permission. So it's likely that officials took it down to avoid any similar repercussions. We may not know right now just why the monolith first appeared, but as they say, the truth is out there. All right, I had some fun putting that all together. Tinfoil hats, put them on. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Speaking of far out things, though, I mean, we were just having this discussion about monoliths, and we're going to be speaking with Rachel Wooten. She is the public affairs specialist for the Bureau of Land Management in Utah here in just a few minutes, but wanted to get back to the far out conspiracy theories, man, about where the monolith maybe came from, dude. 877 399 9898. Derek chiming in saying it could be a marketing ploy. Remember that episode of The Simpsons where Lisa finds something, an angel, I think, and it turns out it was a marketing ploy for the mall? Hmm. I don't recall that episode of Simpsons, but I'm sure it is there. Just don't remember it myself. I haven't seen that show in a while. Uh, We got this one saying, monoliths, why? Why not? They're just like crop circles. They're all a scam. Something to get your mind off COVID-19. I would tend to agree. You know, maybe it's nothing. Maybe this is just a ploy to get our minds off of something like COVID-19. But if that's the case, I embrace it, right? Because that's kind of what we need right now. Just a personal thought. Catherine and Surya says, when in doubt, it's always aliens. Yeah, Space Out Radio guy says that. Indeed, I think that's a wise philosophy. Or just maybe the most fun. Uh, Glenn says, I think Banksy has visited the desert of Utah and Romania. Indeed. Uh, do you know Banksy, Leo? I, everyone knows Banksy. Yeah, yeah, of course. I have a big time artist. Uh, I don't know if this is a Banksy, though. Because he, he usually does, like, you know, spray paints and, and actual, like, spray or even painted art. I don't know if this would count, right? Yeah. Does he do yeah. the like does he do these things? Like not little... sure, John. Not sure. Okay, fair uh... enough. I'm not an arts guy, like in terms of following Banksy. I just know who Banksy is. I just don't know a lot of his work. But uh it's it's interesting. Maybe that's a theory though. Alien Banksy? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, could be. Derek also chiming in, you know, it could have something to do with a movie that's coming out. That was my thought too. You know, maybe promotional stuff, Hollywood, they do go far out sometimes. 
you just never know. Trucker Dan saying, I am reminded of Toy Story. The claw is our master. It decides who will stay and who will go. LGM, Little Green Men, The Claw, yeah. yeah. You watched Toy Story, right? I did. Okay. I did all, all four of them. All yeah. four, yeah. I okay. think the third is the best one. That's fine. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Uh, okay, we're now joined. Uh, you know what? Before I bring in the guest, uh, if you got more theories on this whole monolith thing, if you have an opinion about it, let us know, 877-399-9898. Right now, though, we do have the special guest. Her name, as mentioned, is Rachel Wooten. She is this public affairs specialist for the Bureau of Land Management in Utah. Rachel, really appreciate you joining us here on the show tonight. Now, before we get started, I got to let our listeners know there is an active investigation into the origin of the monolith in Utah and what exactly might have actually happened to it. Now, with that said, you you can't share too much about the details of the investigation since it's ongoing, but still glad you can be with us here tonight because I want to talk about the impact of that monolith and specifically what it did to the surrounding area because all of a sudden, this very remote, very quiet part of the Utah desert suddenly gets a lot of attention from all over the world. Yeah, I'll, I'll say, you know, we did have both national and even international interest in the monolith that, you know, the structure that people are calling a monolith. And it really, you know, it sparked a, a dialogue about, you know, people were curious about who installed it and, and all these different things. But we did also see an influx in visitation to the area. And, you know, folks folks wanted to see it for themselves. And I think, the challenge is that, you know, some folks might not have been prepared for kind of a more rugged or remote experience. So whenever folks visit public lands, we ask that they, you know, come prepared, do their research in advance, because, you know, you want to be sure that you know, you know, are there restroom facilities? Are there, you know, roads that meet the requirements for your vehicle? Things like that. Do you get the sense that some of the locals living in that area of Utah were not totally thrilled about the fact that this went so viral so quickly? Because from what I had read online, part of the reason why some people suspect the monolith was taken down there in Utah was because the locals had had enough of tourists coming by, first of all, circumventing certain mask policies that might be in place, and basically just making a mess of the entire surrounding area, leaving garbage behind, uh, not dealing with uh, the, the serene nature of that particular environment the right way. And uh, that might have led to that group taking down the monolith. So I can't speak, you know, specifically, I can't speak for, you know, the members of the local community. But what I can say is they did see this influx in, in visitors to this specific area. The general area has a lot of great, you know, recreational opportunities that are designed for, you know, many different experiences. So whether you're looking for a more, you know, built environment, uh, some of the, there's, there's parks there, there's recreation sites. And, you know, so certainly, you know, this, uh, the local communities, you know, enjoy a lot of great public lands around them and, and have a lot of visitors. But this particular area you know, had uh, a dirt road that, you know, wasn't designed for cars that aren't four-wheel drive. And, you know, certainly, you know, the people who, who are coming out to the monolith might not have been prepared for kind of the, how, how remote it would be. And so we did see impacts along, along that route. Uh, we saw people, you know, driving off the route in, into kind of areas that were a little less hardened, not on the road. We also saw 
you know, that folks were leaving, you know, trash sometimes, like toilet paper and, and other things after after their long drive. So, you know, what we what we like to stress for people is when you're walking on, you know, surfaces, try to look for durable or hard surfaces and, and similar with, with driving because you know that can cause really substantial or lasting impacts to, to a site. In conversation with Rachel Wooten, she is the public affairs specialist for the Bureau of Land Management in Utah, the group that is currently investigating the monolith that appeared and then disappeared in the desert there in Utah. And Rachel, I know you can't talk too much about the investigation, but can we theorize just how and why this monolith became a thing? Because I've been reading, and we've gotten a lot of responses from our listeners already, uh, with people throwing in their ideas as to how this all began. And yes, of course, we've got some people who are saying it's aliens, it's got to be aliens. Other people saying that, hey, maybe this is an art project, maybe this is a promotional event for like a movie or something like that. Uh, what are some of the theories that maybe you have encountered during the course of the investigation without getting too much into the nitty-gritty details? So I, as you mentioned, can't really speak to the investigation, but I will share with you that we received a lot of, you know, input from the public, both positive and negative on, you know, what they think or, you know, what, um, you know, they, uh, their concerns are with it. So we have been, you know, hearing from members of the public and certainly, you know, if people do have information, they're welcome, they're welcome to, to reach out to us or, you know, local law enforcement. And we work really closely with our local law enforcement offices uh, across the Bureau of Land Management. And those relationships really help us when we have, you know, investigations like this. Although it is such a strange thing, and I never thought the word monolith would become such a buzzword here, especially in 2020, but maybe that's kind of the point, because over the past eight, nine months, we've been talking and focusing so much on COVID-19 and all of the necessary stories that come with it, masking, uh, isolating, quarantining, all of these things which are so heavy. And there is the belief that as we're getting later into the year, there's COVID fatigue. Do you get the sense that this story was kind of a remedy for people who just wanted to get away from some of the really hard, heavy-hitting stuff? And maybe we're kind of embracing this story simply because it let them think silly things again. It let them just feel like this was an innocent time when we know that 2020 has been such a challenge. You know, I think people people were maybe looking for that break. And, you know, what I'll say is that public lands are, uh, you know, across across the United States just provide a great opportunity for people to kind of get outside and reconnect with nature or, you know, spend time with their families. So, you know, we love that public lands are kind of a part of this conversation and hope that people continue to enjoy and respect those resources that are, you know, so unique so they can be around for future generations. Well said. She is Rachel Wooten. She is the public affairs specialist for the Bureau of Land Management in Utah. Rachel, really appreciate you giving us some time. I've never had the chance to actually connect uh, and do an interview with somebody from Utah. So this show always giving me some chances to do new things. And I'm really looking forward to connecting with you again down the road. Maybe when the Bureau of Land Management has finally come to a conclusion, what was the monolith all about? Thank you again. Well, thank you so much for your time, and I really appreciate you and your listeners. You got it. Uh, that is Rachel. I'm so glad we were able to connect with her. And uh, just hashtag facts only. Glenn did text in saying, by the way, Banksy actually has done visual installments in the past, as well as all of the paintings that he is very well known for. So, okay.
this could be a Banksy. Rachel didn't confirm or deny anything with that interview. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's learn Portuguese with Uncle Leo. What do we got? You know that, John? Oh, yeah. I, I uh, sang this all the time. Uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, so, enlighten us. What is this all about? So this what you're listening to. This is the national anthem of Angola. Angola. There you go. All right. I don't know how many of how many of you listening out there knew that, but Angola is a Spanish. Oh, sorry. It's a Portuguese-speaking country. Interesting. Out in Africa. Yeah, there, there are more countries than than Portuguese than Portugal and Brazil, right? So okay, okay. Maybe every week you learn a new country that speaks this language. We might be running out of countries at some point, and then yeah, in that case, yeah. we can just repeat. Yes, and then we can just repeat. All right. So, uh, as always, we take a moment on this show to embrace Leo's diverse language skills. He is from Brazil. They speak Portuguese there. And, uh, you know, before we go any further, I will point out that your friend in Brazil and a new friend of the show, Marta, from last week, uh, she um, tweeted us just a few moments ago sharing that E.T., is now wearing a mask in Brazil. So she shared a photo, which I'm going to retweet uh, at this very moment. And then she also tweeted this message just seconds ago, Leo, yeah. saying, if you're ever in Brazil, please ask for a cojinha. Yeah, that's a coxinha. coxinha. So it's similar in texture to the samosas that we have here. Oh, I love me a good samosa. But that adds, uh, but inside, yeah. like, uh, I mean, the, the fried thing outside looks pretty much the same. But inside, it's just like chicken stuff. Ooh. And it's pretty good. Chicken? Yes. Oh, okay. You got me going there. So it's koshiha. Yeah. Koshinha. Koshinha. There you Koshinha. go. Koshinha. All right. There you go. So listening already, you got one lesson out of the way. Koshinha. Your next favorite snack. If you're ever in Brazil, go and ask for koshinha. All right. Thank you, Marta, for that. Uh, all right. Some of the phrases we'd like to learn, uh, Mr. Teacher. Mr. Coelho, <laughs> since you are the teacher, uh, let's get to it. How about this one? Aliens are real. Uh, aliens são reais. Aliens? Aliens. So it's like aliens, you say aliens instead aliens. of aliens. Uh, aliens. Yeah. Aliens são reais. So reais. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that right? I'm like I'm, I'm typing down yeah, the phonetics here. Yeah, type the phonetics. Aliens sahayas. Yeah, aliens são reais. Okay, all right, it's a right. little tricky, yeah. but there you go. Since we're talking about monoliths, I figured we should at least learn the Portuguese equivalent of saying aliens are real. Yeah. All right. Now, something else that's been happening on the show tonight, we've had brand new audio and imaging and production done by our very beloved Matt MacArthur. It's been very, very exciting hearing all the new sound effects on the show. So how about this? Uh, brand new audio in Portuguese. How do we say this? So we don't have like a literal ex translation to those three words, but we have a bunch of expressions that convey that message. And I think the most famous, like one of the most famous that you hear out there, you can say, Audio no vinho in folha. Audio? Yeah, which is audio. And then oh. the expression would be no vinho in folha. No vinho? No vinho in folha. In folha. Yeah, in folha. Folha. In folha. All yeah. right. Audio no vinho in folha. Yeah. Well, that's not so right. bad. That's, that's not, not so bad. bad. See, now that I'm starting to type down as you're saying these, and I can see like the phonetical version, because man, Hooked on Phonics did work for me. Um, this is a nice, easy way to do it. So we're going to get to some listener suggestions here in just a second. Uh, how about this one? It's sold out. 
Esgotado. Esgotado. There you go. Esgotado. Okay, that's sold out. That's in reference to all the PS5s across Canada, which are just constantly selling out all the time. And finally, how about this one? $1,000. Mil dólares. Mil dólares. Mil dólares. Okay. All right. And a thousand dollars, that is basically what people are getting fined with for circumventing the quarantine law here in Canada. Is it enough? Well, not in my opinion, but there you go. So from our listeners, we've had uh, some suggestions in our text message inbox, 877-399-9898. Let's go to uh, Catherine and Surrey. And we kind of got the first part of it. It's saying, Ogio, right? As in, oh no, no, that's the audio one. Uh, ali- aliens, aliens for like aliens. Yeah, aliens. Aliens. So aliens. she wants to. She wants to know how to say when in doubt, it's aliens. Quando em dúvida, aliens. Quando em dúvida, aliens. Quando em dúvida, aliens. Aliens. Yes. Quando em dúvida, aliens. That's nice. Yeah. It rolls kind of nice. Quando em dúvida. Aliens. Yes. All right. I like that. Stephen Northvan had uh, a few reverse lessons, I guess. He wants to know what the translations come out to. Yeah. Well, you know what, John? You're going to read those sentences, and I, I'm going to be honest. I'm glad they came beforehand because all these expressions are expressions very common in Portugal, and I'm not from Portugal. Oh, I was raised in Brazil. Okay, I never heard about any of these senses, but I did some research, you know, sure. for the, on the Portuguese community, and I now I know, and I, it was a lesson for me too. So thanks, Steve. The problem is, I'll probably butcher pronouncing it, but I'll try my best. Yeah, from Stephen Northvan. How about we translate this one? Gamar as pestanas. So it's queimar as pestanas. Pretty close. Yeah, queimar as pestanas, which is an expression that means that you have to study a lot. Study a lot. Queimar as pestanas. That's exactly what you and I have to do, Steve. We got to study here a little more. All right, moving on. Uh, muitos anos e verar frangos. So, muitos, pretty close. Good. I, I like that. That's a good, great. So, muitos anos a virar frangos. So, it it would mean like someone with lots of expertise in one field. Uh, like a pro. Yeah. Like okay. A specialist. Yeah. So, in this case, you're a pro at teaching Portuguese. <laughs> so, you say so. <laughs> this right. is as close as professional Portuguese teaching that I've had in no, my this life. is great. Yeah, All man. Right. Thank uh, you. How about this one? A sombra da banheira. Bananeira. A sombra da bananeira. So actually, to my surprise, it's actually it's a, it's a literal translation to to the expression which. Uh, uh, on the shadow so it means like you have to when you're too relaxed when you shouldn't be oh when you let your guard down yeah oh that's when a sombra da bananera there you go okay and uh, this last one was a little tricky it come os porcos I can't tell because the way it's written here that he texted it's it like R it IT and uh, it is not a Portuguese word baby uh, if he was trying to say the verb eat, like eat, eating port- food, yes, yeah. So that would be in in Portuguese would be the uh, the verb comer. comer. That would be the verb like eat. Okay. So okay. It would be like so. It would be comer com os porcos, which means would mean eat with the pigs. All right. Interesting. So, yeah. 
And we got this last minute uh, question. This one from John, 877-399-9898. Are you single? He's not asking you, Leo. I think he wants to learn how to use it, but you know. So, so it's a question. So, você está solteiro? That's the US for a guy. That's the the masculine, right? Você está solteiro? Or, and for for the girl, like, você está solteira? Veo estatosteira? So, solteiro, so, I mean, single, like, for for uh, the male gender. Teiro. Solteiro. Teiro. Is so, solteiro. Solteiro. So, that's for the male gender. And for the female gender, solteira. Solteira. So, você, I, so the question would be, você está solteiro or você está solteira? Você está solteira. Ah, oh, this is this yeah. is difficult. This <laughs> Você is difficult. está solteiro. Oh, this is hard. Yeah, this is tricky. Flirting in Portuguese is not easy to do. Ah, uh, it's not. It must be even harder in Korean. Yeah. I'm just gonna stick to the old tested and true. How you doing? Do you get that reference? Yeah. Thank you. Oh. All right. Hey, thanks for checking out the Shift Weekend Podcast with John Jang. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so that you can always be caught up to date on what's happening on the show.